Kia ora, kia ora, kia ora. It is awesome to be back for another season of Best Side New Year. Same old shit, but except now we've got video as well. So make sure you go check us out on YouTube. If you prefer to uh, watch videos rather than listen to audio, head along and check out Best Side Podcast over on YouTube. Don't forget to spell it with three eyes so you can go and see um, what's going on. I don't know if we'll be able to do it for every quarter that we have, uh, but it's definitely going to be the goal from here on out anyway. And it was cool to break in um, doing the videos with the guests that we have for episode one of season three. Three years, three seasons doing this podcast. It's crazy. It feels awesome though. We're up to about 20k uh, listeners, which is pretty nuts. Well, not quite. We're sitting around closer to 18, but I kind of round things up in, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20. My bad. I didn't mean to lie. Um, anyway, We've stepped into the future, finally taking the podcast to include video, as I said, kicking off season three, catching up with Green Party Aotearoa New Zealand member of Parliament and Auckland MP Chloe Swarbrick. Heads of gold nuggets in this quarterfinal, whānau, if not only to understand how politics works in Aotearoa a lot better. Uh, Chloe and I both agreed that there will be an inevitable part two, maybe three, four or five, as we didn't even touch uh, on things like drug reform in New Zealand Um, Her other baby that she's got, obviously, she talks a lot about her main baby, uh, which you'll understand more by the end of the episode. Long-time listeners will know as well that I always ask every guest for their advice on how to approach tough times. Uh, Whilst almost none of the guests are mental health professionals, almost all of them are mental health awareness advocates who have been through the wars themselves and can offer insight uh, and nuanced approaches to those situations too. So it was pretty cool to have Chloe on board and her nugget at the end. You know, the golden question, if you've uh, been listening to us for a while, you know what that golden question is. Her response to that question is pretty awesome. So make sure you stick around for that. Check it out, Fano. It is awesome to be back. Season one, sorry, season three, episode one. This is Chloe Swarbrick, and we're calling her episode, The System is Cooked. All right, well. I'm not going to do some big-ass, long-ass intro for you um, because I feel like when we do that for people, that quite often puts them in a box. You know, if I talk to an athlete or whatever and I talk about all the athletic stuff, then people just want to talk athletics. So I quite like to leave it open. So what I'll do, actually, is I'll let you, for those that live under a rock, perhaps some of our international guests that have no idea who you are, can you just give a brief out intro as to who you are and who, yeah, what you're up to? Good point. Um, well, kia ora. Thank you for having me on the no podcast. And, um, my name is Chloe Swarbrick. Uh, I am a, a politician. I was searching for what a better way to describe that is, but, you know, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, I have the privilege in this parliamentary term of representing my home of Auckland Central, um, which is Maine, so I'm in my second parliamentary term. I'm a Green Party MP, um, which means that I kind of subscribe to the kaupapa of people on planet uh, and how all that stuff's interconnected. Uh, and want to also shout out to Te Pāti Māori, because now they're back. There's two uh, parties in Parliament that recognise Te Tiriti Waitangi as the founding document of this country explicitly, uh, which makes it 12 out of 126 in this Parliament. So, you know, 10%, uh, we're doing pretty poorly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but you're I, loud though. Like together, you're loud. You might be oh, small, yeah, but you're loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're not letting anyone get away with any nonsense anymore. Um, but yeah, Rawiri's really bought the the flashy aesthetics, eh? Like, yeah, yeah. 
honestly, that man can dress. Uh, but yeah, so my name's Chloe. I um, am the Green Party MP, represent um, uh, Auckland Central, and I hold a number of portfolios, as is often the case in a tiny party. So, um, you know, I sit on the Finance and Expenditure Committee. I am uh, one half, the junior half of our finance team with Julian Genta. Uh, I am really interested in uh, how we talk about things like uh, mental health and uh, I'm really invested in not the reason I came into politics but got really fired up about the injustices of it around drug law reform uh, and yeah also hold portfolios like uh, media and uh, economic development which we take to from a frame of actually what is the economy the economy is uh, actually people and it's the resources that we all have access to and how do we apply uh, different different frames of thinking and different calculations to to that stuff uh, and yeah I also happen to hold the portfolio of youth because I'm 26 years old so um, I'm uh, the oldest sibling of a family of three kids um, and yeah been in and around Dharmaki Makoto for pretty much my whole life. So on that note as well just very quickly um, congratulations on your I want to say niece or is it a nephew? Nice. Oh, awesome. She's the best. Uh, watch, watching you. So, so I don't have any children myself, but I'm an uncle as yeah. well. And um, yeah, it's when I watch your interactions, this feels so creepy telling someone that I watch this stuff. On social media. <laughs> but but when that's I watch social it, media, right? Yeah. That's social media. It's the world we live in now. I've still got to make that mental adjustment that it's kind of okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I watch you with her, it's, man, I get like at the risk of sounding super corny, I do get fluttery because like I have those similar emotions and things with my nieces and nephews. So just wanted to point that out before we move on. That That's very cool. I love that. Oh, she's the best. Eh? Yeah, my little sister, um, I, I mean, she'd always said when we were growing up that she'd be the first to, to have the kids. Uh, and yeah, Mia, uh, which her, her dad is Bailey and her, her mum's uh, my little sister, Grace. Um, she's just been honestly such a godsend like uh, firstly in terms of bringing the whānau together um, because uh, we're an interesting whānau like most um, and also uh, just the yeah the way that she uh, is learning all this stuff eh? like I guess one of the key things um, that I've been investigating uh, in myself and also with my friends for a while is like when people talk about wanting to have kids like why is it that we want to have kids and um, you know there's the kind of biological imperative arguments and all that stuff but I think one of the key things is just like watching somebody uh, grow and engage with the world and getting all of that out of her and how she's just like fascinated by stuff and putting stuff in her mouth <laughs> like this is the best thing ever it's weird isn't um, it it's weird like yeah. I, my listeners know that I because I talk about it a lot with different guests like so I've, I've never really wanted to have kids and so mm. if you listen to me like eight episodes ago I'm saying I don't want to have kids whereas now I'm saying I don't really like it's kind of it's a strange place and it is from those interactions like when you see the wonder and the things that they go mm. through it's like man maybe I want a piece of that but I don't it's, it's it is strange because for me, it's very much that, um, I don't know, like it's it's like the logical versus that, I don't want to say emotional, but that part, like yeah. to me, like on paper, theoretically having children is kind of, in my own personal opinion, is not mm. the way to go because of, you know, the planet and things like that. But then also like, especially being Māori and just the whole legacy thing, the whakapapa yeah. element to it, 
that is like a huge thing that it's starting to pick up and I'm noticing this kind of war within my head recently of those. So it looks like you've, through, you've had similar conversations or thoughts before. Oh yeah, massively, massively. Um, and I mean, also it, it's just that funny thing, eh? Where like, I think for me personally, being in a same-sex relationship and like going through the dynamics and like, I've had mates who've been in same-sex relationships who've had kids and stuff. Um, and it's just this funny thing, like, we can, we can totally do that thing. Um, and almost like to do it is also a bit of a rebellion against, you know, conservatism and all of the people. Which you're all about. You shouldn't <laughs> yeah, totally. But I'm like, again, is that the right kōpapa? <laughs> is that the, you know, so um, the, the right reason or rationale or principles to, to do a thing. But yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting so much out of, out of being auntie. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's the best day. And uh, watching her just do all these real basic things um like it, it's all that real um kind of normy stuff of just being like this is what it's like to to just be obsessed with a child that is growing up and it's real grounding it's real grounding so yeah deeply grateful for that eh? it's strange right like you can kind of go through all the bullshit of your day and all this crazy stuff mm. can happen and all these minor things especially in your world these minor things get blown up to be major things um, a lot of major things get made, like get almost diminished to kind of sweep them to the side. And then it's funny, you get with this kid who's chucking a whatever in their mouth and you kind of find the simplistic joy in just that small moment or kind of reminds you of what's important in a way. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, this is the funny thing, because eh? I've been really paying attention to what's been happening in particularly the Australian Parliament um, and Senate over the past few um, kind of weeks and months. And, you know, this is partially because my partner's Australian and I got mates over there, but also, you know, New Zealand's often being like, oh, we're not as bad as Australia. And it's like, well, we got so far to go and don't use that as a yardstick, you know, but um the way in which certain politicians have been justifying how they now care about like sexual violence because they can relate themselves to having kids or like being in a relationship with a woman or something like that is, is another really fascinating angle to look at it by because often when we talk about you know climate action for example and you know you you alluded to it before uh, people will raise the fact that they have kids as why they care about this kind of stuff not inherently because of the issue but because of their relational as kind of their relationship to somebody who cares about the thing for sure um, and yeah that's been a really um, interesting kind of path and uh, perception to try to unpick and expand and be like well uh, I do really care about the future that Mia is inheriting but beyond that you know if we're constantly only focused on the the world that our people um, and the people who we're directly related to are going to inherit then we're not necessarily making the best forms of decisions so yeah that's just a random aside but something no, but that's, that's a great call out because I like even as you're saying that I I have to admit you know with, when I'm with my nieces and nephews I am thinking about I guess their world a lot of the time yeah. the conversations like I'm preparing them I I have to admit a lot of those conversations and I'm only just realizing this now that you've brought it up I'm not saying like your world like these guys you don't even know included I am saying like you three that I'm talking to now which is kind mm. of maybe fucked up by me I need to change like, that not necessarily not necessarily like it's just that funny thing about how you know um in terms of how human nature and cognitive dissonance and all that stuff kind of plays out eh? we and you see this at a massive scale when you are looking at something like parliament but 
uh, everybody understands the world through the things that are proximate to them. Mm. And this is how we get into all of these, and now we're going to take this to the level of like Margaret Thatcher. Um, but you know, like this is how we really end up, I think, in a lot of unintentional conflict, particularly amongst working people, uh, because you know, we've drunk the Kool-Aid on narratives like there's no such thing as society, there is only, you know, individuals and families. And when you take that as an approach, not realizing that it's actually the systematic approach as well, you have regular folks who end up being unintentionally in conflict with each other because they're thinking about what's best for their immediate whānau, as opposed to realizing that we can lift uh, kind of everybody together and that sense of solidarity and stuff. And yeah. obviously you can kind of associate that to you know, the, the the fall of, or not the fall, but the decline of union membership and uh, the rise of the gig economy and how, um, you know, neighborhoods don't exist in the same way that they used to because folks have to move a lot more because of rental insecurity and all, and housing insecurity and all that other stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's funny how all that stuff's in, interconnected. So this is what I think about when I'm holding baby Mia. I'm like, oh, yeah, what about like neoliberalism? I don't know. <laughs> it's so messed up, right? Because you know, mm. I think of different things and things like that. And I'm weird. I'm, I'm like sitting there just holding this kid, looking at them. And similar to you, like all these things are just going through my mm. mind and I'm zoning out and people are trying to talk to me and I'm just like, man. And then you kind of walk away like, man, I overthink the shit out of that. But it isn't. <laughs> yeah, bro. I did a BA in philosophy and I'm like, I still don't understand this stuff anymore. Like this is, I have more questions is what I've got. Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because when, when you were talking about like you know people's relationship to the world and stuff like I couldn't think of help of like help but think of like a little bit of existentialism sort of stuff like you know is it the substance or is it our relation to the substance and all that sort of thingy and we only know what we know within our world a lot yeah. of the time right and and when you kind of click that that's what everyone's going off it makes you I think for personally it makes me a lot more tolerable of people because they only know what they know but the yeah. point that I get pissed off is that when they're not willing to expand what they know, you know? And oh, definitely. Yeah. And where those defense mechanisms kind of get up, eh? Yeah. It's, it's definitely been one of the things that's helped me feel a sense of, I mean, control's the wrong word, but uh, yeah. place is also the wrong word, but uh, feel a little bit more settled in um, a, an environment where I feel totally like an alien um, in, in a place like this parliament, right? And uh, it's just realizing that <laughs> you come at it. And my old man, um, and I regularly refer to what he kind of taught me when I was growing up is, you know, that he, he sees different people see different things differently. And he is, uh, I used to have a lot of fights and debates with him um, when I was growing up. Um, I did read he, that as well. Yeah, well, he, he like really, um, he, I found when I got older that he actually never, he's only ever voted twice, um, or, you know, now he's voted four times because he's voted for the elections that I've run in, but um, he was one of those people who just, in a very throwaway way, would engage with uh, politics or whatever and make very passing kind of judgments and comments on things, and I would really have to challenge those things, but he also was simultaneously quite a deep guy, uh, and is quite a deep guy, and it's just... Yeah, how do you uh, shift those those views of people, and also you know recognizing the privilege that I have in uh, proximity and in, in this place and space to people who either have to listen to me or pretend that they're listening to me, uh, and also <laughs> realizing that, that being in here means that you're insulated from the experiences of regular folks who are out there on the ground, and and how does all of that stuff kind of 
um, you know, interrelate and intersect and result in hopefully something that is a meaningful outcome. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack in there, eh? Sure. We're, we're starting to lean towards, like, I guess, the house and, and what it involves and what it entails. Mm. So before we do, though, I want to quickly go back to what you mentioned before, because I can relate. Uh, when you spoke about how um, Mia? Yeah, right? Mia. Yeah, how Mia... Um, has been a pivotal part of bringing the whānau together mm. because so my own story is we we're very much the same so I'm one of five boys and we're kind of out in the world doing things and then obviously we've got mum dad stepmum and so things all over the place but the kids it definitely started to get everyone on the same page and kind of having a reason I guess to unify Whereas before we were quite happy to be individuals and just go about our own thing, come together when we absolutely need to. Um, but then having the kids is kind of was like, well, shit, we don't want them to have to go through what we went through. And we want to, we don't want to pass on that intergenerational trauma to an aspect. So fuck, we need to sort our shit out so that mm. they don't have to put up with it. And that was kind of mm. what, the kids have done for us is that a similar situation or are there relatable themes there with what you guys or not i mean there's definitely there's definitely relatable themes like when it comes to realizing that uh, all of our lives and all the stuff that we carry can be unintentionally or intentionally kind of passed on to kids you know like when parents um snap and it's just like all that stuff comes to the fore of everything that you've been taught about how to behave and respond when somebody's naughty or they make you angry or whatever else. Um, there definitely is a, a huge amount of consciousness that, you know, some people characterize a, a new kid as like a fresh start or whatever. And it's definitely not a fresh start because we're still having to deal with all of our stuff. Um, and there's still all of those different kind of patterns of relationships and things, but it does offer not a fresh start, but a new perspective. Yeah, um, and, I, yeah, and yeah, and, and a realization, a realization that somebody else is impacted by what we're doing now, and that there's the opportunity to continue replaying these patterns, which then will be replayed for another few decades. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely you know that that process of everybody's obsessed with the baby. Mia Aroha Hitaraka is adorable. Um, and like we're all hanging off of like when are her teeth gonna come out of her gums and like when she she can roll over now. Oh for real, I'm honestly hitting up my sister every other day, like in the in the group family chat, like send us new pictures, come on. Um but yeah, she's just um she she has definitely um required that I guess we take uh, we stop pretending that shit is so complicated. Um, and, and we realized that, you know, a lot of the excuses or um, frames of thinking that we take to, to problems, particularly at, at a family level, um, are just, you know, they, they come from places that are patterns more so than um, conscious kind of thinking things that we would and we now can change because we're aware of them. So, yeah, that's been, that's been a huge blessing and, yeah, deeply grateful for that. Yeah, it's not like a fresh start. It's like a forced review, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're doing an inquiry, bro, um, and you know there'll be it's a, a family. It's a family audit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know how um, kind of 
because it is that thing eh, where you know something kind of life-changing happens whether it's traumatic or it's um, awesome and you realize that you've got only kind of a, a, a window of time in which you get to set new patterns and frameworks and stuff before it kind of becomes automatic or you go on autopilot or whatever and yeah I feel like we're kind of in that space now but the thing about a kid growing up is definitely there's a lot of those stages eh? and they are in quite like short time frames so like right now you've got a um, baby that can like roll over um, so she'll be able to walk so there's like a consciousness of where you're putting stuff uh, and then you know like she's getting into school and stuff so there's all of those kinds of thoughts and different ways in which we as a, as a family as a whanau um, organize ourselves uh, around that um, and that you know entails how we interact with each other how we interact with her and there's also that that really funny um, kind of awareness that comes out of uh, what your relationship is directly with a kid but then what you perceive as like the adult world and yeah, what you're willing yeah, yeah. To, to let the kid in on and I just you know I was talking to my partner the other day about this it's so funny because like you know as a kid going through like family uh, parents divorcing and stuff your parents are so unaware of the um, kind of arguments that are occurring in the room and how that's affecting you and what you're taking on board and also what you take those things to mean. Like when we put ourselves back in the um, frame of mind that we were at as kids and like the weird things that we thought and believed, like there was a period in time where I thought the babies were born from belly buttons and like all this other stuff. But you know, like you glean that from just conversations that you hear adults having. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, just, just being aware of how um, we kind of set off limits certain conversations that we, we might have around her as she gets older. And what does that mean? And is that also us just getting caught up in our own bullshit? Or is that actually for her benefit? You know, so yeah, all those things are just like exploding and like the, um, the mind kind of blowing meme as I'm like holding this little baby. <laughs> I've got a couple of my nieces and nephews are coming into their teens now. So it's really mm. funny because they'll ask me questions and see me and my brother are very different and so they're his children so I have to keep that in mind too so when you talk about like the adult world and the child world a lot of that um well kind of like a similarity that I draw towards what you're saying there as well like the kind of what's right and what's wrong because a lot of things to me that are right my brother would probably say are wrong and so like yeah. okay am I setting him up here and his kid's going to rebel against him and question <laughs> what he does because he does it different to me so it's that whole relationship is interesting too but it's quite good like my brother's got a bit of a setup where he'll say like go talk to your uncle about it and he'll let me know like bro you've got free reign like whatever you want to tell them tell them yeah so it's yeah. good but they're definitely to begin with in those early stages it was like okay like bearing in mind that their family the house that they stay in is quite a lot more conservative than i am as a person mm. how much mm. here do i plant <laughs> they don't want them to run about against the system of their own household how much yeah. do I plant or how much here do I kind of just listen and try and reword <laughs> yeah yeah totally well that's the thing eh? like I mean there's definitely uh, in terms of that moral compass and stuff I you know this is also really related to I think any experience of any kind of younger person or person who's construed as different um, because they are marginalized by virtue of not being taken into account when a system's designed or an institution's designed or whatever but, you know, it particularly plays out with kids as they get older, this notion that, you know, growing up means giving up on the stuff that you believe in or the, the kind of sense of justice that you, you might have about, 
you know, things that are really tiny when you're a kid about how like cats and dogs are treated or, you know, the discrepancies between kids and adults and the rules that you have and your parents have or any of those kinds of things. And it's been really interesting um, just watching the way that uh, that plays out and particularly, and again, I know we'll get to this part, but in places like this, eh, like there's this assumption that people ha who have, we can go there. We can go there. Let's yeah, but it's, Let's you know, it's like people people who have more time served somehow know what's up, and somehow um, you know instead of looking at it from the perspective of maybe if you've been inside of an institution for yeah. for a really long time, you have ended up taking on that and molding who you are to it as opposed to changing it anymore, and you know this notion that more days on earth necessarily correlates to like more pills of wisdom or magical yeah, yeah. juju when you know if you've spent the same kind of days and days doing exactly the same thing for a few decades maybe that kind of novel way of thinking or creative or constructive asking of questions which is what kids do is really important to kind of the, the approach that you're taking in that space and it's just kind of yeah how, how all that stuff rubs up hey eh? like you know, when you're younger, I think that, and this is very broad brushstroke stuff, and of course it doesn't apply, you know, black and white to everybody, but when you're younger, you are more inclined to look at the world from a macro perspective and go, well, what's this? Who am I in this? And, you know, um, explore that. Whereas as you get older and you like accumulate stuff, um, for better or worse, yeah, you, you become more concerned about what's immediately in front of you and how you retain that sense of certainty because you feel like you've got the rules and you know how to play by those rules. And I guess, you know, that takes us all the way back to the top of this quarter all about how uh, we end up being quite quite narrow um, and thinking about Alfano and how that's, you know, related to, you know, what, whatever we're doing and how we can better that as opposed to necessarily, oh, well, there are other kids who have this or better or worse or whatever, you know? So speaking of bettering things or better and worse and kind of all those sort of themes, at the at the top of the quarter when we've introduced you, um, you said, I'm a politician, kind of in like a Ron Burgundy <laughs> style. So tell us then why. Why on earth did you decide to step into this realm? You said that that why has kind of changed over time. So why did you yeah. step in initially? Um, and why do you think you're there now? Yeah, um, I, I stepped into it initially mostly because I just didn't know what else to do at the point after I'd run for the Auckland mayoralty. Um, so running for the Auckland mayoralty was, uh, so like just rewind a tad, uh, 2015, 2016, I was at 95 BFM uh, and Lillian Hanley, who was a phenomenal force of nature, was my producer and was just fed up with me uh, always being like, having politicians on and then afterwards being like, they didn't answer any questions. What's that, going on? That's so funny. Like I, I, I'm gonna let you carry on, but my flatmate mm. I actually live with, She's Lil Smith's mm. cousin, so that's hilarious. Oh, true. <laughs> she's usually sitting behind me here, uh, behind my blue string here, doing her own studies, but she's out there. Oh, so, honestly. So we'll shout yeah. out to Gabby and Lily very quickly before you and, go. Yeah, shout out to Lil Sorry, and Lil, to Gabby. Lil. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, honestly, she's she's best. Um, and I think there's a doco coming out on her soon. Anyway, everyone just... Yeah, they're doing it uh, about, uh, I think it's Huntington's within their farm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Which will be uh, fascinating. Because I've had a lot of kōrero with uh, Tiaho recently as well um, about his mahi with Kiwi Bank, so oh yeah. true. But we'll get into that stuff later. <laughs> we'll get <inside laughs> yeah, but, our no. friends. 
plug in our mates. Yes, but no, shout, shout out to the community um, who, who built us. But yeah, like I was um, having a yarn with Lil after um, having had on um, some of the candidates for the Auckland mayoralty in the 2016 election. And I was just like, yeah, nah, um, this is all really boring. And I feel like this is a pattern we've been through before. And, you know, she was just like, come on, like, you know, you always are saying this stuff, just do something. And I was like, cool, go home, um, Google how to become the mayor of Auckland. And I was like, okay, so this is pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, you like find the documents on Auckland Council's website, real straightforward. Um, Google's just like the index for the internet, eh? So like, even when I'm trying to find stuff on Hansard for parliament, I'll like Google it so it's way more easy to navigate parliament's website. So yeah, Googled it and I was like, cool, have to be over the age of 18. Um, I was 21 and I waited just because my birthday is 26th of June and the cutoff was the 4th of July. So I waited until I was 22, just after the 26th of June, so that I could then put in my application to run so that I was 22 for the 4th of July. Because um, otherwise the news cut might have been 21 year old runs for the mayor. And I was like, yeah, 22 sounds slightly better. I don't know. Um, and then yeah uh 20 uh, sorry 200 bucks for administration fees and like two people nominate you and like the whole point was just like you know there's uh, as a journalist later asked me they were like um you know is this a protest kind of run and I was like I, I actually think that a lot of people and the kind of uh, narrative and rhetoric that we use around protest candidates is like as though they're a joke and actually I think that in electoral politics and what's possible inside of electoral politics is quite narrow. Mm. Um, and if we are constantly taking the approach that the only way that we can ever change things is only by getting people elected, then we're setting ourselves up to fail. So one of the many ways that you can kind of circumvent or bust that wide open is just to run people who will definitely change the conversation. Of course, you know, um, it'd be dope if we got them elected, but if they are around that table and changing the tone of that debate and adding new ideas to it, then it's fundamentally different to begin with. So, you know, getting Phil Goff on record to say that, you know, um, if it wasn't for that damn kid, then, you know, I mightn't have had, no, it was far kinder than that, but, you know, I might not have had to come out with a few other um, things that he did end up coming up with. And, you know, uh, shifting the way that people thought about those local body elections and how um, council impacted their lives um, was something. Um, but, you know, we only ended up with like a four point uh, bump in turnout. So it went from like 34% to like just under 40%. And, you know, that still doesn't feel good enough. And I guess the um, conversation that I was having with my mates after that election, um, so I ended up coming in third place with just less than 30,000 votes, which was mean, because like we raised about 6K from selling t-shirts, but there were some dudes who spent like 150K who ended up coming after us, which was like, great proof of concept is community organizing, just yeah, um, sure. off the bat. Like church I had people are really, to... church people are really backing you because they really back you, right? As opposed to getting paid to back you or buy, <laughs> um, or by well, the, some sort of like whatever. popular beast, right? That they yeah. actually believe in what the fuck you're doing. Totally, and and then it just became, you know, this like I can, and this is again just where I was at at that point in time. But I was thinking about so like I'd graduated with a law degree, never wanted to be a lawyer. It was just a way of like progressing, I guess, the, the understandings of the world that I tried to get from my philosophy degree. Um, and it was an alternative to doing postgrad in that uh, and learning about kind of structures and all the stuff that I was trying to critique. And at that point in time, I was thinking about applying that to journalism and doing that professionally. 
and um, as opposed to independent BFM. Uh, and I uh, kind of had this thought where I was like, insider journalism, and uh, again, this is a different experience for different people, but this was my experience. You are quite reactive. Something has to happen or you have to investigate it. And then you kind of put it out there and just hope that people care but you don't really get to run a campaign on that. You don't get to try and change the narrative. You don't get to really push politicians to do or be better. You can put questions to them or whatever, um, but you don't get to galvanize or organize a community to, to put a spotlight on something and to change that thing. So uh, after that local body election, you know, I was thinking about at that time, I was also running a little art gallery and donut shop um, in Mount Eden with my um, former partner and uh, our really good mate, Brian. And I was like, could just go back to running the donut shop, uh, could try and professionalize into journalism and like that'd be mean. But also there's this real weird thing and I don't know quite what it is, but like I'm angry uh, and here's a way to channel that. And uh, the funny thing about, you know, getting on board with the Greens, because I had a few conversations with a few other people who approached me, is that they couldn't guarantee uh, a place, you know, on the list or in parliament because it's a fully democratic process through that. Yeah. Uh, but it just was like, if I'm going to do this thing, then that's the only legit way to do it. And also, you know, I'm definitely not going to be in this game for, for a real long time. So uh, the best way to do it is just go full hog and know that I want to have an opinion out the gate, as opposed to, you know, what happens in the bigger parties where you're just kind of told to just, you know, your, your wings are clipped and you have to wait 10 years to have an opinion by which point in time you probably don't have one anymore. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of the approach and how I, how I got into politics and I guess, yeah, to your question about the change, um, like the change has been, um, very much from kind of realizing, realizing what's possible, um, when you, uh, organize the community and when you're connecting with the people on the ground, uh, to try and put a spotlight on stuff and perhaps nowhere is this more obvious than in spaces like uh, drug law reform um, that that things can change real quickly but also there can be massive impediments to change that are completely self-imposed and I, I had this real existential crisis as I constantly do um, <laughs> but it, this one this one was about like um, you know, and you can talk to anybody in my close vicinity and my friends and um, my whanau and they will tell you like every other week I'm like, okay, now it's time to leave um, this like parliament and politics and stuff. But the thing that has me feeling a lot more settled um, for the fight now is that I used to get really frustrated on a daily basis and be like, I need to leave because this change is being blocked. And it's like, actually, the the constant fighting for that change is is the kaupapa. It's not just the change, if you know what I mean. Like um, trying to pull people together and, and force that change. And that's where you end up getting into this really, I think, important self-reflection about how important are you to that change. Mm. And ultimately no one, no one is bigger than the kaupapa and they can't be because otherwise then it's a selfish and narcissistic endeavor. Yep. Uh, but realizing that, actually the best way to I guess engage in that meaningful public service and kind of self-sacrifice is to take that kaupapa to the furthest extent that could extinguish your career if that makes sense so it's like instead of being like I'm going to quit because I can't do the thing that I want to do it's like how do you push to breaking point inside of the system at present 
at which point you might become so unpopular in the mainstream or whatever. Yeah. But like, I think yeah. we forget that that's how change happens. Like nobody is popular when they're pushing for civil rights 50 years ago. Like it's not how that works. It's like, oh gee now, and conservatives are celebrating Martin Luther King and stuff, but they did not, you know, we've sanitized that history. Yeah, it is, it is man, it's, I can relate to so much what you're saying when I think of the Māori Ward stuff, which, um, so I'm based mm. in Taranaki, and I would argue we're, we're quite a pivotal place of of that battle, um, yeah, pivotal battlefront, I guess, and you're right, you know, like when you're pushing, you kind of, I got to a point where I, don't, I didn't ever think of giving up, but I did have that mm. realisation where I kind of realised that um, the process is almost the co-papa itself like right. it's kind of weird because if i relate if i try and relate to a little bit of what you've spoken about when i kind of click like to with um how you mentioned like the the change itself being i guess the pivotal moment or the goal so to speak that was kind of what i was thinking like this legislation is the goal which i guess it was for a lot of people but for me it, because i guess my role that i played when it came into that is is um I don't want to say dumbing down, but water, watering watering down of the complicated language that they try to put yeah. into it. Like, you'd know that. Things get set Making up it accessible, bro. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That was my my part, my role to play was make it accessible. I mean the shit out of, you know, the naysayers and I put it into language and stuff that we can digest now as, you know, millennials or younger, whatever, Gen X, Y, mm. whatever you're calling them now. And when I, that was a pivotal moment for me. Like when I realized that that is the goal, the translation of this complicated shit is the goal. The the making it accessible is the goal. The the passing of the legislation is kind of an awesome byproduct. Man, it changed. The, it, it definitely gave me a renewal of energy where I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is where we fuck shit up. And I would I wouldn't go as far as I was to say that I was sad when the legislation passed. It definitely was not sad, but it was like shit. Okay, that's not done now we've still got a lot of mahi to do there's still a lot of translations to happen still a lot of accessibility to be had but it was like okay what's up now and it's been yeah. it's been an um yeah it's been a crazy journey and i mean that's how that's how we connected kind of because i mm. you know mm. we messaged and and then i for, for those that don't know that i think there are only like four or five of us in the gallery at the time because obviously the opposition were doing their best their best to drag the ass out of it but man um yeah those that for me that was really cool to see because i spent the week down there it was meant to be one night but it ended up being three or four days because of the drag out and seeing that camaraderie between you know you shout out to them at the start of our corridor to party maori and the greens seeing mm. that camaraderie was cool seeing certain people from uh the labor party you know get up and have their piece too that was cool like seeing that sort of unity and even like having a beer with a couple of people afterwards and went upstairs and, and had a wine and had a quarter door with a few peeps. And yeah, it was, it was just really cool to see and, and be a part of, and it kind of gave me a bit more confidence in the house <laughs> because I, yeah. I, mean, I, I expressed to you in messages, like I, I have such a juxtaposition when being in that house, like such an oxymoron of emotions, because as you've mentioned before, it's a place of real change, right? Like no matter how mm. you look at it, it is somewhere where you can really stake a hit, stake in the ground and, you can change shit, but at the same time, it was a place that fucking an action the the atrocities against my people. So it's such oh. um yeah, it's so weird. But 
Yeah, uh, it's crazy. It's I, I'm, power, bro. It's there's, I, there's the funny. Th it's power. Mm. Like that, that's the funny thing. I eh? like we we often use the word politics and like see that as something which is out there and away from us because we use it um, interchangeably with uh, parties or parliament or partisanship. But politics is power. And like, I guess the thing about that chamber is, as you say, like that the atrocities and the trauma that sprung from that and how certain people, as Debbie has pointed out, uh, who have effectively committed or driven genocide and attempts to completely wipe out um, iwi Māori from this country still hang on these walls is indicative of that power and who gets to speak in this place and who gets to uh, say what is possible to change and all of those different things and what's really fascinating is how kind of this room this like literal embodiment of the ivory tower uh is that supposed moral high to ground. represent hey eh? that moral high ground right like yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they dictate what everyone else, like the morals of the rest of society whereas they're obviously not a shining example of what moral people do Oh, exactly. And, 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 you know, like watching the process of certain politicians um, and, you know, I, this is my second term, but I have seen uh, even in that time how people who came in with these, you know, views of how the world could work uh, kind of get, have their edges like filed off, you know, and um, they, they become, uh, they start they start wearing a mask or embodying the way that they're supposed to do this role, which ends up perpetuating the system that they wanted to change. Mm. Um, and that 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 cognitive dissonance is where people start valuing their role more than they value the change that they intended to um, kind of produce. Um, but yeah, like things like that. Um, the the one thing about the um, the Marty Wards that kind of got me is just like on, on a real baseline, almost political gossip, like silly thing to say, but it just really blew my mind and it's related to this point, is how Chris Luxon was the dude who was put in the position to drive that for the National Party in terms of opposition. And it just felt this, like, again, this really weird kind of political hazing, you know, that like where someone uh, who doesn't necessarily believe something or have strong feelings on something almost has to prove their allegiance to um, a value set they don't necessarily believe in, but that is this almost like tribalism, for lack of a better word. And that's where it gets real disappointing, eh? It's oh, just... Hard yeah. out. Like, so I watched all the deputations, um, mm. the, the submissions online, and I honestly, I believe that he, whether he does now, but I feel like at the time, for sure, definitely during those deputations, and perhaps that's why it's funny that you're saying what you're saying because it relates to what I was thinking kind of internally and I haven't said this out loud but when I watched him during those deputations I saw like a bit of a change happening in him it's almost like he was kind of like shit man like I'm on the wrong side here you know we're the bad guys yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw this change in him but then when I saw that he was tasked with leading the opposition in that thing I was thinking oh okay I got that completely wrong but then perhaps behind closed doors maybe they recognize that change. I mean, if I picked up on it and I don't even know the guy, his party yeah. might have picked up on it too and they're like, shit, we need to get this guy back in line. But maybe, I don't know. But he, yeah. I mean, he, I have to admit, full, full credit to him, he did try and come talk to me when I was down there, but I was not Good. in the mood. Yeah. I, I, like, I, I don't think I was rude. He said, kia ora. I said, kia ora. 
he probably stood there a bit longer. We could have continued a conversation, but I walked off because this was after six hours or so of sitting in there and listening to them belittle our people. Um, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like I hate him or anything. It was just the mm. timing. The timing. I could talk to him now, but the timing mm. at the time, mm. I was just like, no, nah, I'm going to get angry here. We're running out of time, sort of. But so I wanted to just kind of jump onto some stuff that's more topical and happening now. Um, just because, you know, we've had a good history lesson and shared some perspective, but I think it's important for us to talk about some things that are happening right now. So I don't know. Where should we go? Is a Kennedy point? What tell us oh, yeah. about, tell us about the mahi happening over there? Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to I guess wrap a thread around that last bit and this bit around Kennedy Point, it's the difference between um order and justice, say, eh? like you know, that this facade of politeness and kind of kindness that has become very commonplace in the way that we do politics in the 21st century uh, is very much, you know, like someone can spend ages effectively engaging in racism and just yelling and yelling and yelling in the chamber and then come say hi to you and be like, it's all gee, like I'm, I'm a all good person outside of the stuff that I've just yeah. been doing, which effectively yeah. continues to marginalize and oppress. And, you know, that, that difference between order or politeness or, you know, the facade of kindness and justice, that is the right thing, um, is, is apparent everywhere. So um, with regard to Kennedy Point in particular, oh, it's a gnarly, gnarly beast. So uh, the long story short, um, uh, Waiheke is part of Auckland Central. Auckland Central, fascinating electorates, obviously includes the city, uh, but then actually the majority of the landmass of the electorate is under water. So that's why I'm like mean, I get to represent the Hauraki as well. Uh, so we've got Waiheke, Aotea, Great Barrier. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Waiheke, um, Ngātakawa, um, and Pritahi Marae, uh, who uh, on their, on that island um, have been phenomenal, particularly in terms of how they have just been constantly so generous uh, with the community to increase understanding of Kopapa and Tikanga Māori uh, and Tetiriti relationships and otherwise they do. Um, it was really gutting actually off the back of uh, the lockdowns and stuff with Waitangi this year. Uh, weren't able to do the same kind of open doors situ that they normally do. So instead, we just got out there on the marakai um, and we're just yeah planting some um, food and stuff, which was cool. Anyway, uh, Nanti Paua, uh, as with kind of, you'll be aware, the, the process of uh, treaty settlements, it's quite a colonizing process to begin with because there is the need to, uh, you know, establish large natural groupings. And then there's the process of um, the post-treaty settlement kind of corporate entity, for lack of a better term, to receive that settlement. Prior to um, Ngāti signing their settlement, uh, there were two uh, boards, the Iwi Trust Board and another board, and basically there was some complication with, or I don't know if you want to go so far, but, you know, some people inferring some dodgy stuff happening with the way in which uh, the iwi consultation occurred for the granting of the resource consent for the development of Kennedy Point oh, Marina. Okay. Um, the kind of context in which this was occurring in 2016 was the community was exhausted from fighting another marina um, development at Matiatia. So uh, this one kind of slipped under the radar and the kind of, uh, I guess in a nutshell, the difference 
approaches or uh, perspectives of people on the island outside of Ngāti Power on the island uh, who very much were like, we weren't properly consulted, um, this is cooked, if it comes to it, we'll occupy it. Um, the island was split almost 50-50 of people who were like, um, we don't want another marina, this is a process of gentrification, also it's going to massively disrupt the kind of sea floor, and then there's the penguin stuff, which obviously has kicked off further down the track, and we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other side was like, oh, we're so exhausted from fighting, obviously this has to go somewhere, so uh, we're just, we'll, we'll lie down and take this one. Uh, and then uh, works kind of indicated that they would start with the arrival of a barge about a month and a half ago. And off the back of that, um, Ngāti um just jumped on down there and they've been occupying um, from, from that day. And it's real fascinating actually uh, talking to them about the process of doing so because it's not the same as an occupation on land where you know you just stand there yeah, yeah. and the cops there. Yeah, so they got kayaks, they got a walker, yeah. like they're proper out there um, stopping the barges and stuff. And it's it's honestly, yeah, it's phenomenal. So you got um, just amazing leadership there in the form of people, particularly like Emily, who you may have seen in some of the um, news. She's got blue hair, so she stands out. Yeah. Um, but she's super eloquent. And I reckon uh, in terms of, you know, the, the mind's eye of the general public, real mad parallels with the likes of Panya Newton um, and Ihumatao and the way that that was led by um, Rangatahi Wahine Māori. Uh, so and how usually, you know, media really like one spokesperson, so there's that too. Um, and that's a way to tell a narrative and a story. But everything really came to a head uh, about a week ago when this occupation's been ongoing and, you know, some of the community's been like, oh, kapai, and others have been like, oh, I don't really care. Uh, but um, Karen from the Native Bird Rescue uh, got a call saying uh, from one of the um, developers, contractors, being like, hey, um, come and get these little blue penguins uh, because we're about to start developing um, this area and removing some of the rocks and you have the dock permit to do that. And Karen was like, uh, well, actually my dock permit is to like rehome birds that have lost their homes due to natural disasters and stuff and uh, birds that are injured. I'm not going to take the birds so that you can destroy their habitat. That's like not uh, how this works. I never knew that's how it came. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's how it came to be. And then Karen goes on social media and she's like, what on earth is going on? She was understandably really upset. And then everything kicked off. And then, you know, this is kind of a classic uh, narrative around kind of environmentalism and particularly how we still have so far to go when it comes to backing particularly kaitiaki Māori um, approaches. Uh, but all of a sudden, the whole island's on board, you know, because these little blue penguins, you know, <laughs> Ngāti Power out there for like a, more than a month. But anyway, the penguins. So um, as soon as that happened, everything changed. Uh, and there was this real flashpoint where people were like, um, you know, didn't necessarily understand the complexities or the intricacies of um, the way that um, iwi Māori were consulted, but they can understand that penguins are a threat. So, uh, yeah, about 80 people turned up um, on, I think it was Monday or it might have been uh, Friday. I've been talking to Bianca um, on the ground out there about, uh, yeah, just like the police turned up. Um, and no, no, nothing violent or anything, not even destruction to property, anything had happened. But the police turned up and Bianca was like, okay, something, something's about to happen. And then another boat turned up 
And then um, she put the call out, they put out the call through Modi or Timuana. Uh, there was a call out through SKP. Uh, and then I was just like, cool, I'll bounce that on my channels. And yeah, like 80 folks turned up and the, the whole community was kind of together to just be like, no, 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 stop works. Um, so there's been some hui this week uh, and yeah, gonna be interesting to see how that one progresses, but it's been awesome to see how, yeah, just finally now everyone's unified and united. That's crazy. I, I've seen um, a video that I've, I've held on to because it, it, it honestly helps me push through like tough days or like I'm having a tough moment or making a hard decision or if I get hit with some shit news. And I can't remember the dude's name. It's been killing me. I've been trying to think of it since we've been talking. There's a guy who's in a kayak and they're trying to bring the barge up and he just pulls out from the kayak and just for like a good three minutes or something like that, he's just going, not today, mate, not today. And he's, <laughs> Kayaking around and he's doing zigzags and then he just keeps going, not today, not today. <laughs> and I need, a, I, whenever I have like some shit news or something comes to me, I just play that sound and it cracks me up and it just reminds uh -huh. me, that I don't let the bullshit get me today. Hard out. And just how, and like, that, that's the thing, eh? Like, you know, you can get so wound up and how it's important to have your fancy people in their suits and council or in parliament or whatever. But as those folks in the kayak doing the not todays who are stopping that stuff on the ground. And I guess the, the thing, you know, the flip side of all of that thinking and that process and stuff is it's so important to raise the profile of the ongoing process when it comes particularly to recognizing, you know, like Nath Prowler's leadership in this and what Te Tiriti looks like now that all eyes are on this issue. Uh, but it's just exhausting how much energy goes into stopping stuff getting worse as opposed to making it better, eh? Um, so, yeah, I'm just hoping... It kind of flashes, it kind of throws back to what we were speaking about before in terms of, you know, sometimes the block isn't the goal. It's the, the process of that block is what we need to get people more educated on so they can understand just how fucked up things are sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm being mindful of your time here. So I just want to ask one last question. And this is a question I get every guest to answer when they come on the podcast. Um, because we quite, and we, we have, we touched on it before the um, Kennedy Point stuff. We talked about a lot of, you know, trauma and whanau stuff, et cetera. But the only question I ask people, or the only rehearsed question I ask when people come on is, there's someone listening right now who's going through a really, really tough time and they might be in a bit of a hole they think they can't get themselves out of. What would your, bearing in mind you're not a mental health professional, but what would yeah. your what would your advice be to someone who's feeling kind of at the lowest of lows right now? Yeah, I mean, it's a rough one, eh? Because I think different people need different things. And one of the big things that I've been pushing back on for a while now is we have this constant conversation about how people who are struggling just need to reach out, but we never have a conversation about how we need to be a lot better at recognizing when people are having a rough time. Uh, and nowhere was this more obvious and really screwed up than in the case of this wonderful young woman called Zoe Palmer, who's been an advocate as a teenager for child and adolescent youth mental health services at the top of the South in Nelson. Uh, she was in advocating for these services, talking about her experience with the mental health system and just, you know, some pretty traumatic and rough stuff. And she got hit up by the officials and, you know, politicians in her area being like, hey, 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 like, don't don't talk about that stuff because, you know, it'll jeopardize your future. So we're simultaneously telling young people that they need to reach out, but then reminding them that they will be stigmatized if they do so. So I guess, yeah, all, all that stuff is so important for us to properly grapple with as a society. But the message to the person who's going through that stuff, 
um, is, you know, it, it's really impossible to see it when you're when you're in it. And um, I've been there, but it's just it's just one more day. Eh? Like I think I think it's really important to to narrow it down to. Um, what do you need today to survive? And who are the people who, who you can talk to who, who will help that happen? Um, because, you know, if it's not all good, it's not the end. Um, and, you know, you get to make choices. Um, and if something has to be active about, you know, um, basically we just need you. We need you and, and, and stuff is, is going to keep going. And um, it, there's a better day, if not tomorrow, then the day after, if not the day after, then next week or the month after or whatever else. But, you know, as somebody who's been through some very, very, very rough times, um, it's impossible to anticipate um, the, the future and how things end up mapping out. To put it in um, the words of my grandma once, you know, I was having a meltdown, um, like a proper full-on breakdown as a teenager. And my grandma, very pragmatic, um, very religious woman, um, was like, uh, you know, you need to draw this graph, right? Because, you know, you have your ups and your downs and those things become infinitesimal uh, the longer that you live. Those ups and those downs, are, you know, you put them in the perspective of a life and that completely changes it. So if you give yourself permission to keep experiencing and to, to keep walking through that journey of life, then you get that, that perspective and, and you get more of an understanding of, even though it might be shit right now, um, you know, there are definitely still good times to come. Amazing. It's been awesome catching up with you. There's so much more shit that we're gonna to have to talk about. So we're gonna to have to do this again sometime. Yeah, bro, definitely. Any final words or anything you want to say before I let you rock and roll? Ah, oh, proud of the people. Um, you know, <laughs> but you know, for real, like there's just there's there's so many things that are happening, and um, don't leave politics to the politicians. Kilda, 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 Kilda. There we go. Season three, episode one. Chloe Swarbrick. The system is cooked. You would have heard her say that, so that is why I threw that in there as the title because it was just so so crack up, so real, so raw uh, to hear, especially from an MP, which is very funny in itself. You know what to do. Go and smash uh, the subscribe, like, share buttons. No matter the platform, leave a review for us as well. Uh, we're possible. iTunes Music uh, over there on Overplayer, Outcast. Uh, if you're following us on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, make sure you leave a like and a review there as well. We've got plenty of awesome quarter coming up throughout the season. A reason why I don't kind of forecast and let you know is because they don't always work out. You know, people that commit to it and they want to get involved, things end up happening. I mean, last year was the biggest example of how things can just come out of nowhere and change the game so um that is why a lot of people have been asking bro just put up a list of all the guests you're going to have hey, i'd love to do that but then if someone doesn't pull through then that just makes them look silly and i don't want to do that to people but yes great to be back for another season uh, we're going to be back in another couple of weeks uh, we've got some more politicians teed up some musicians a couple of athletes and we've got some people that we're going to be talking to that dabble in some pretty specialized area as well uh, which i'm looking forward to getting those amongst and some other podcasters got some other podcasters coming on the podcast this year which will be a real choice. If you've got any recommendations, make sure you let us know through all our channels as well. We'd love to know who people want to hear from um, and some conversations you'd love to have because, um, yeah, that's what we're about, 
best side conversations worth having. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's awkward, we want to have that corridor. Catch you next time, Fano. Love and light. And uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you again soon. Hey, Kuna.